Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live, in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Today we talk about a time when we, I'm talking religious freedom, won. Here to share the victory celebration is Alan Reinick, Executive Director for the Church State Council for the Pacific Union Conference of Seventh-day Avenues. Alan, welcome back to LifeQuest Liberty. It's good to be with you, Charles. This program is sponsored by Liberty Magazine. Okay, Alan, let's talk about Teresa Brown versus the California Department of Corrections. What happened? Why did it happen? And what did we learn along the way? Three good questions. Well, first off, Teresa Brown lives in Northern California, outside of Sacramento, California. Her husband's a correctional officer. She worked as a certified nursing assistant in a prison, and she was encouraged to apply to become an officer, to be a prison guard. And so, uh, you know, she was familiar, obviously, with working in a prison, And so she did. In 2013, she applied, and she was interviewed. And in the interview, there was a discussion about her being a Seventh-day Adventist and not being available to work on Sabbath, on Sunset Friday to Sunset Saturday. Some months later, she had already done, like, her physical and, and some of the testing that you have to do. And so she was well into the process. And at the time... The state was hiring 7,000 correctional officers, but they didn't hire her. They rejected her because she was unavailable on Saturday. This was not disputed in the lawsuit. It was clear from their rejection letter. We filed a charge of discrimination in 2014 with the Federal Civil Rights Agency, the EEOC. We filed the case in court in 2015. Within about a year of filing the first discrimination claim, the Correction Department adopted for the very first time a policy that would give guidance on what people are supposed to do when faced with this kind of problem in the future, and that is accommodate them, <laughs> hire them <laughs> to, to work, right? Mm-hmm. So we got the policy change long before the case had hardly gotten underway. Make a long story short, we did a bench trial in 2018. And the judge was supremely pro-Department of Corrections, found what he thought was kind of a loophole in the law that enabled him to rule in favor of the state. We filed an appeal. The appellate court reversed and ordered him to follow the law, which is to determine whether it would have been an undue hardship for Corrections to accommodate her Sabbath observance. And what the judge basically said and and eventually ruled is that, well, the state really didn't put on any evidence of hardship, and so he had to rule in her favor. Mm -hmm. So we now have a decision and a judgment in her favor. You introduced this as the thrill of victory. (laughs) You know, the celebration is muted because we fully expect that even though there's no grounds for an appeal, that they're going to file an appeal and kick the thing down the road for another couple of years. So it is a genuine victory, and I expect it will be upheld on appeal, 
but we're not completely celebrating. The judge ordered them to put her back in the hiring process so she could complete the qualifications and, and start working, but they haven't lifted a finger to do that. Helen, I have a couple questions for you on this. Why would the California Department of Corrections balk at this when they have so many people coming in and, and they're hiring so many people and they there is obviously no hardship? Why would they balk at it? What are they trying to say to the world when they say, no, you can't come work with us because you can't work on Saturday? What's the message they're giving out here? Well, first of all, I think the question assumes something that's not entirely true. Mm. I don't think that we're dealing with a kind of conscious decision. I think what we're dealing with is bureaucratic inertia. Nobody in middle or upper management testified for the state. Mm -hmm. Okay, It was all just the low-level flunkies. And who knows who's actually making decisions. The attorneys for the state that are representing the department, I don't think they're calling the shots. They're just going through the motions. I get the sense, really, that nobody is really minding the store very carefully. Now, we had an expert witness who had recently retired as, like, third in command of CDCR, and he gave us wonderful testimony about how the system works, about how they could have accommodated and what the policies and everything. He was fantastic for us. Off the record, he really felt like nobody in management wanted to touch this thing. But meanwhile, they weren't going to settle it. They could have settled it on the cheap, and now they have a more substantial judgment, and you know they're going to be on the hook for her attorney fees. And there was a bunch of attorneys on this case. Are you saying that it just seems that they know how to say no, but they don't know how to say yes in situations like this? That's a good way to put it, I suppose. Sometimes we get these attitudes about government, and we think, you know, somebody's plotting something. And sometimes it may just be that, you know, it's just kind of going through the motions. It can be difficult. Now, I've had a bunch of cases against Department of Corrections, and we've had cases settled. We've had some strong cases where they have been willing to negotiate and resolve cases without dragging it out for year after year after year. I mean, this thing's been going on now. We're going into year number nine since she first applied to work there with an appeal. It'll be another couple of years. And then on remand, you know, we could well be into year 12 before she's in the hiring process. Well, then that brings me to my second question here, and that is has to do with Teresa. Why does she want to do this knowing that where she wants to do it doesn't want her? Isn't that like getting married to someone who doesn't love you? Well, that's a fair question. And there are plenty of these religious accommodation cases where getting somebody put back into the workforce is not an option. Right. But here, the difference is, First of all, her husband works there, okay? And when she finally does get assigned to a prison position, the people at the prison, they're not going to have a stake in denying her accommodation. They have no involvement in everything that went before. So unless somebody has a stake in kind of spreading rumor and poisoning things, It's such a large organization. There's no reason. And there's so much flexibility built into the system. 
prison guards have a very strong union, but only 70% of the posts are governed by the contract with seniority. The other 30% are completely at the discretion of management. They can put somebody wherever they want on whatever schedule they want. And that's why it was impossible for the state to really push an undue hardship argument. One of our witnesses, providentially, one of the fantastic providences, was after we filed this case, I get a call from a brand new prison guard, an Adventist kid who's struggling with an accommodation. Mm -hmm. We file an EEOC complaint, and we negotiate an accommodation for him. And so by the time we get to trial, he has been about a year and nine months working, never worked a Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And it just proved the lie that a newly hired Seventh-day Adventist would somehow be required to work on Sabbath and couldn't get accommodated. Well, he did. Okay, I want you to, Alan, I want you to talk to someone who may be listening to this program right now who is facing this kind of situation. In your experience, is the battle worth it? Is it worth it? to go up against a big mega corporation and insist that I want to have my Sabbath off. This is something that is in my heart. I believe with, with all my mind. This is not a church telling me. This is my heart telling me. Is it worth it to do the battle, or should we just fold our tents and go someplace else? The short answer to that is yes, but there's a longer answer. I'm going to give a spin here on a familiar biblical image. Mm-hmm which is Jesus telling us to turn the other cheek. Okay? But too often, we seem to think that turn the other cheek justifies what the psychologists call denial and avoidance behavior. Our response to conflict, our natural human response to conflict, we're told, is either fight or flight. Right. And we think somehow the turn the other cheek is, okay, we we kind of sweep the conflict under the rug, uh, what I call the big carpet method of dispute resolution, (laughs) and we just run away from it. Well, if you run away from it, you're just encouraging more bad conduct. You're encouraging the bad actor to keep doing this to other people. If you think about the imagery of turn the other cheek, if somebody hits you on the cheek and you turn the other cheek, you're not retaliating against them. You're not punching them back in the face, but you're not running away either. It's not fight or flight. You're confronting the wrongdoing, and you're challenging the wrongdoer to change their behavior. And that's what we do. Win, lose, or draw. When we file these claims, we're challenging these companies to change their behavior. Sometimes they do. I was just told there was a major Sabbath case against UPS some years ago. And as a result of that case, I'm told we haven't had any more problems with UPS. So they acted very badly in that case, but maybe they learned their lesson. Here we got a change of policy from Department of Corrections. So we've accomplished something. Our obligation is to do justice, is to stand up for what's right and leave the consequences with God. There's no guarantees. There's never any guarantees. You know, we can lose. We're not going to win them all. 
That is a beautiful lesson there that you have shared with us. Turn the other cheek. That is not running away. That is not hitting back. That is simply staying in place and insisting that, you know, hey, I exist and you can beat on me, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying right here. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Is that the short answer of what you just said? That's a good way to put it. We also, when we do that, we are standing up for being human, for you can't treat me this way. So our own integrity is very important, I think, to our own sense of self and integrity to not simply get beat up by an employer and then have to swallow it and go away. Even if we lose, at least we can say we've called out the wrongdoing. Justice is elusive in the human sphere, which is why I am so thankful that there is justice with God. Hmm. Alan Reinick, Executive Director for the Church State Council for the Pacific Union Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. Alan, thank you so much for sharing what's on your heart today. We appreciate it. Thanks for having us, Charles. Until next time, this is Charles Mills, along with Alan Reinick, inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. If you'd like more information about LifeQuest Liberty, call 443-391-7258 or email us through our website at libertymagazine.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of liberty burning in your heart today. <music>